that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Wednesday, January 8th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. And as you may have heard on our 2019 wrap-up shows a couple of weeks back, we have a bit of a new format here for industry focus on Wednesdays, what we're calling Wild Card Wednesdays, where we basically have a blank canvas, more or less, and can dive into whatever we're sort of feeling that week. And you know, we'll, we'll try to push the envelope and cross some lines, and maybe we will, maybe we won't. But uh, I'm feeling like today... Our our inaugural wildcard Wednesday. I, I feel like I'm I'm up for a good gaming conversation, and and that's why my guest today here is the one and only Aaron Bush. Aaron, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm honored to be on the first wildcard Wednesday. The first wildcard Wednesday. Well, the neat thing about wildcard Wednesday, we can take it in whatever direction. Uh, you know, we're taking the place of what was traditionally healthcare on Wednesdays, and it's not to say that we won't ever talk about healthcare, folks. We definitely will. Uh, but we thought this could be an interesting way to open up. Some some topics for conversation that we might not normally cover uh, on our, in our traditional lineup, and so you know what really planted the seed for for this being uh, the show for today. And a lot of listeners probably out there don't know uh, what you've been up to recently here, Aaron, with something you've been working on called Master the Meta. And and I think the best way to describe this, from my perspective at least, is a week. It's a weekly newsletter devoted to the gaming industry. But now what I find unique and refreshing and, and really uh, what keeps me coming back is that this is coming from a gamer as well as an investor. So you're bringing your acumen from the gaming world as a gamer, but you're also bringing that investor mindset, which to me uh, is great because I learn a lot in the process. And, and while I don't game as much today as I used to uh, back in the day, I, I do still enjoy it from time to time. And, and it's neat to see how this industry shapes out. It's a massive market opportunity, as you know. And so we thought it would make for a great discussion today. And, and you know, I'm going to let you kick it off here in just a second and let people in on exactly what prompted uh, getting this ball rolling with Master of the Meta. But before we do, I want to remind our listeners, if you want to learn more about Master of the Meta, just go check it out at masterthemeta.com. You can sign up for the weekly newsletter. You can follow them on Twitter. I, I think that if you have any interest in this industry whatsoever, this is really uh, required reading from my perspective. And so, Aaron, just tell us a little bit about what got this ball rolling for you. Sure, I appreciate that. Um, it, it's pretty simple. I mean, I love gaming, always have my whole life. I love business, always have most of my life. Um, and I think uh, I was craving some type of insight, ongoing insight about the business of gaming, and I didn't see anything out in the world that had that. And why I want wanted that insight is because the the video game industry is massive. Uh, this year, it's about like a hundred and fifty billion dollar industry. Which, for context, like it's almost like a meme to say this at, at, at some point with with people who follow gaming. But it's bigger than the film and music industries combined. Well, I mean, if we look at entertainment, gaming really is. I mean, it's the biggest market opportunity out there. Isn't it, it is, yeah. and it's the fastest growing. So, so to me, like it strikes me as not only is gaming like a cultural force that's taking over, a business force that's taking over, but there's like a pretty major attention gap between um, like where the money is going and how people spend their time and compared to like where what people are actually studying and i feel like gaming um 
the business of gaming has not been getting enough attention. And just because there wasn't something good out there that I wanted to follow myself, I figured, you know, I, I could probably do this myself and do a decent job. So here we are. Well, I would say you're doing better than a decent job, <laughs> and we're going to give it a little bit more attention today. And so I want to lead off uh, just with, with something I was reading from Master of the Meta just a few weeks ago uh, in regard to you're looking back at 2019, sort of a year in review, and, and you were keying in on some of the big picture topics uh, in the industry from mobile and cloud gaming to consoles and more. But I, I was wondering, in, in all of that stuff I read, was there one thing or maybe a couple of things in particular you felt like in 2019 that stood out to you as more significant than the others? Yeah, so I'll, I'll call a couple of things out. But but first, I'll say that 2019 really was like a, a like a transitional year and an anticipatory year for the industry. Like the current console generation is winding down. Mobile is still doing its thing. Free to play still represents $4 out of every $5 that is uh like produce the industry. So a lot of these ongoing trends are still still here. Um, but really just to, to call out a couple things. One, if you're going to study the business of video gaming, you would be crazy to not be closely studying mobile gaming, which is the largest and fastest growing category of the video game industry. And in mobile gaming, like people might think of like Candy Crush or something like that. <laughs> um, but really, um, the the types of games that are showing up on mobile are changing. Um, and there are lots of opportunities within that change. And within that, um, mobile esports, I think, um, is going to has had a pretty gangbusters 2019 and is still picking up as a massive trend so this is like think about like call of duty but on mobile and so call of duty mobile did launch in 2019 within um two three months it amassed about 200 million downloads wow which is a lot um it's not it's not a perfect game uh has some room to monetize but there are other games out there that most people probably haven't heard of there's one called Free Fire, which is produced by um, uh, a company in Asia that has amassed over 450 million downloads in the past couple of years. Sheesh. PUBG Mobile has amassed over 600 million downloads in the past couple of years. So, so these games, the downloads are on par with like the biggest and best internet properties in the world. Um, and engagement is pretty strong. And uh, as I play things forward, it's very clear to me that mobile esports, especially because most of the world is mobile first, um, is going to get much more engagement, much more downloads, and will dramatically improve monetization over time. So that's a big deal. Um, also, just to call out like another pretty big change in the industry in 2019, uh, we saw a paradigm shift with live streaming. Um, so most people are probably familiar with Twitch. Twitch mm -hmm. has been like the dominant player um, um, in terms of video game live streaming where people can watch their favorite gamers play games. An Amazon property, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it was purchased by Amazon several years ago. Um, but there was a paradigm shift this year. And it started when Ninja, who is the biggest gaming personality in the world, decided to move from Twitch to a platform called Mixer. Um, and what was the the big deal here? It wasn't even necessarily that he moved platforms, but that the he moved platforms based on on terms where Mixer was paying him like a contract to move to Mixer. And so I kind of view that as like the shot heard around the gaming world um, <laughs> where all of the sudden um, now all of these top streamers are like, well, if Ninja can get uh, like a paid deal on a platform, 
then so can we. And so now we're seeing um, like an evolution where Twitch used to be very dominant. Um, and it used to be very much a platform business where it got all of its content for free, sort of like YouTube. No, like YouTube doesn't pay anybody for for content that goes on the platform. But now that somebody has, and Mixer is a is a Microsoft property, um, now all of these different streaming platforms are now having to start competing based on deals that they're making with all of these different content producers. So there's an evolution of these these uh, these websites moving from being platform-based businesses to content-based businesses, which has pretty meaningful effects on like like the margin profile of these companies and how profitable they can be. And so sure. so we're starting to see some market share shifts where like YouTube gaming is now getting into this. Facebook gaming is now getting into this. Um, and 2019 was the beginning, but we'll see see even more deals from even more players be made over the coming years. Well, so I think that segues then nicely into um, something else I wanted to ask you about because I mean you've got you've got Twitch as an Amazon property, you've got Mixer as a Microsoft property, and and so there's a common thread here, and these big tech they're they're finding their way uh, through this gaming uh, landscape, and and so you you mentioned in something you wrote recently the emerging ecosystem wars, and I mean to me like when I read that that sounds like it could be, it could be its own game. I mean I, maybe you got an sure. idea to develop yeah. that for us. It, you know it could be some kind of investing angle. Who knows? Uh, but let's talk about that a little bit because I think. You know, we talk a lot about ecosystems with these big tech companies, in, in whether it's in entertainment or retail. Uh, it, now, gaming, obviously, being you know, you know another front on this battle here. What what are some of the examples of this emerging ecosystem war that's shaking out here? And, and what are the companies you feel like are really dictating the terms? Because I mean, the, the neat the neat thing I, I, as we watch this space develop, and in, in the ninja example here. It seems like Twitch could probably try to remedy this by offering up some consideration for people on their platform, and maybe that is the direction this all goes: is paying yeah. up more for content and for uh, the, the 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 players in the space, so to speak. Um, but but talk a little bit about more of the uh, of this emerging ecosystem war and how you see this playing out. Yeah, so I think it, it's sort of as similar to what you see with video streaming. Like I don't like how people are framing that up as a streaming war. Those are very much ecosystem wars too, where like a streaming service is just part of like a broader like Disney ecosystem or something like that. Yeah, and so. It really is like the same thing here. Like this isn't a games war. This is an ecosystem war where companies are starting to compete based on multiple dimensions. And I think the best example is Microsoft, who is now starting to compete based on more dimensions than they ever have before. They're competing based on their hardware, their consoles. They're competing based on their exclusive games that they're bringing to the platform, based on live operations, based on subscriptions that they're building, based on cloud gaming that's coming out, based on live streaming through Mixer. And all of these pieces reinforce the others. And and with something like this, like Mixer, which paid millions of dollars to acquire Ninja, like they're probably not making money, but that's okay if they're bringing more people into this broader Microsoft ecosystem where they'll spend more money in lots of other ways. And so so that's the general thinking. Um, and because like the this industry is becoming even more like infrastructure based as cloud streaming is coming about as as all these subscription services are rolling out the tech companies are really the best like titans in position to to build an ecosystem in lots of different ways amazon they own twitch um they're they own amazon web services which will be a big 
uh, give them a big edge in like the cloud gaming wars, and I expect them to unveil their own cloud gaming service next year. Um, they they'll also try to build like a, a game engine, which like publishers use to build all of their different games. Google, like they own an app store that has like a ton of mobile games. Um, they they own YouTube, which is like the biggest place in the world to see like gaming content, like lots of videos. Um, and of course, they they they're trying to make Stadia work. They, <laughs> I was gonna say maybe if Microsoft is bringing some kind of a cloud based platform. Maybe they're watching what Alphabet, what Google has done. Uh, yeah, and it won't be hard Stadia, to top taking what? some notes on mistakes made. <laughs> They've made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> um, Facebook's doing this Epic Games, which is behind Fortnite. Not only do they have Fortnite itself, but they own the Unreal Engine, which is the second largest gaming engine. Uh, they've they've pointed the Fortnite audience to the Epic Games Store, which is like in a storefront storefront where people can buy lots of different games from other third parties. So so there are lots of different ways in which ecosystems can build, and I expect that like as these ecosystem wars pick up, and as companies must compete on multiple dimensions, we'll probably see some consolidation. A lot of like the independent like game engines, certain publishers, they'll be acquired by these companies that are trying to to bolster their own ecosystems. I feel like that would make a lot of sense. I mean, I, I hate the content is king saying because I don't think it's that cut and dry, but clearly content matters. That's what drives engagement in a lot of cases. And mm-hmm. so bringing those publishers in with that experience in developing successful IP to date, I mean, it would, it would only make sense because that you sort of crack that content nut and you can figure out new ways to distribute it. And if you're big tech, well, that's one of your biggest advantages is distribution. Yeah, and honestly, like the dark horse and all of this, I actually there a lot of these console makers on that side of the ecosystem. They they will buy publishers and developers, probably the smaller ones. But as like a, a trend to to look forward to, it really wouldn't surprise me if we start to see traditional media companies start to become more interested in gaming because. Gaming is massive. It's quickly growing, and pretty much all of these like traditional companies have zero exposure. Yeah. Um, and as you you think about, just as an example, The Witcher TV show just came out on Netflix, and it's like a top-rated show, super popular. But there are Witcher video games and books, and we see The Witcher Three was Game of the Year in 2015, I want to say. But there are more people playing Witcher Three today or when the TV show came out then we're playing in 2015 because of a TV show and so again all these pieces of an ecosystem reinforce each other and increasingly especially when it comes to like these really big brands I think a lot of the the brand centric media companies will recognize that they can get more exposure to more of the future of what brands will be in entertainment by buying um, the biggest uh, video game brands. Yeah, and I mean, I, on the flip side of that, because it isn't just about having that name, right? The thing that comes to mind, I know Activision Blizzard, at one point, I mean, they, they tried to do this with World of Warcraft to a degree, right? I mean, there was a World of Warcraft movie that, yeah. and they I don't know that that was really considered all that successful. I mean, maybe it was just a, a toe in the water to figure out how to navigate that new environment. But I mean, having the IP is important, but that really is just one piece of the puzzle. I mean, yeah. the, Witcher, the Witcher example has been phenomenal because I've seen that on Twitter. I mean, that thing has just exploded in the interest that it's created in really bringing two worlds together from gaming to entertainment. I mean, I, you know, you're seeing something now that hasn't really happened to this degree until just now, it feels like. Yeah. So, like, Take Two Interactive, they have Grand Theft Auto, which is like one of the biggest entertainment brands, period. Like, it, it, 
busted records for like biggest opening weekends. Their other game, Red Dead Redemption 2, also did the same. But just as an example of like something that might make sense, like think about like a, a Disney Electronic Arts merger. Sure. Um, Electronic Arts has um, most of the biggest sports games, and I could see immediate ESPN tie-ins. Um, Electronic Arts creates most of the Star Wars games. Pulling that in-house would be awesome. And they also own brands like uh, Dragon Age, like Mass Effect, which a lot of gamers will recognize as like really great storytelling, universe-building brands that have never gone beyond uh, video games at this point, but could make like really interesting like movies and TV shows. So, so I don't know if Disney will buy Electronic Arts. I bet they'll buy something at some point. It would make um, sense. I could see that. But, but there are many ways that. Uh, that these companies coming together could build value just through like a transmedia lens. Let's talk about esports for a second. I think that's something that has been a um, a buzzword in the industry. Oh yeah, and certainly in our industry yep. over the past couple of years. And, and there, it, it, it is a polarizing issue, even for people who don't really care. I mean, you ask some people about it, and they're like, "I don't understand how that's even a thing." And you ask other people, and yeah. they're like, "Oh, I totally get Lots it." Lots of misconceptions. I, yeah, I think so. And it took me a long time to really study it, learn it, and get it. And you know, I fully understand. I understand why it'd be popular. It makes sense to me. Um, anybody, you, you just sit there and watch a football game. You sit there and watch a baseball game. You're watching someone who's expert doing something that you're interested in. You know, gaming's the same thing, basically. I mean, so uh, I mean, from that perspective, I could see a world where esports really uh, takes off. But it sounds like to me that that maybe you're thinking we're we're kind of on the way to the trough of this disillusionment with esports before we get back to like uh, you know accelerating uh, you know happy days. Yeah, I, I think that esports is. Short-term undervalued, uh, or sorry, short-term overvalued, but long-term undervalued. I think that the long-term future of esports is massive. Like if if you know billions of people are playing games, and it makes sense that there will be a massive audience for people watching like the best gamers. Um, but right now, esports just is a bad business, and we've seen um, the the hype cycle really pump people up, and lots of like companies have raised a ton of money. Um, uh, buy-ins to to leagues like Call of Duty and Overwatch have been like extraordinary. Like teams have to pay you know twenty five to like forty million dollars to just have a seat. Um, and I think so far, like most of these like pure play esports teams have failed to build any type of competitive advantage. They're all kind of the same. They have trouble building brands. They have trouble um, monetizing their audiences. Um, so it would not surprise me within in 2020 or 2021 if esports winter hits, and it'll start by funding drying up from companies that need it most, um, and it'll force all of these esports teams to take a really hard look at how they run their business, and they'll recognize that the costs that they they have in terms of like player salaries, in terms of like league buy-ins, all of those things are way too high, and we'll have to cut back, um, which. Uh, we'll have ripple effects for publishers too, who own the games, but also, um, like like a company like Activision, essentially convinced other players like Twitch to spend a lot of money for exclusive rights to their leagues, which viewership has been okay, but hasn't exploded in a huge way. So I also expect there will be a step back in terms of how much money um, will be settled in those deals before it, it you know, steps forward again in the future. So really, I just think expectations have to reset. But because these businesses um, have been used to easy money and have built really bad 
business models. And if you think about it, uh, because these games are owned by publishers, it's different from traditional sports where like nobody owns soccer, nobody owns football. Right. Um, but these games are literally owned and controlled by a certain company. They're going to build their esports presence in a way that's favorable to them, and it makes it harder for other companies within that ecosystem to really win. And I don't know if that's like the best approach. Ideally, if you're building an ecosystem, you want to find a way for everybody to win to make it sustainable. But companies have been greedy, and I think that's going to backfire. And again, in the long run, esports will be a big deal. But how these businesses have been built so far and how terms have been struck with all of these different players, it's not sustainable. And I think it will absolutely have to take a step back before it and takes another step forward. Well, that easy money is a blessing and a curse, right? It, it can open up a lot of doors, but it can also encourage a lot of frivolous spending and in, in, in short-term thinking, I think, which, um, you know, that makes a lot of sense. That's a really important point, though, I think you made there in regard to football, soccer, sports, baseball, that it's not really owned by someone, right? But this IP in, in esports, this stuff is, and those economics dictate all of that decision-making, really. Yeah, they control how the game works, any updates that change the gameplay. They control usually the terms of who can compete and how they compete. Um, they control everything, and that's just so different. And yeah. so, yeah, comparing esports to traditional sports, um, I understand why people want to make those comparisons, but they fall apart so fast. You Sounds really can't like do it. it. does sound like it. Um, I, I want to ask you real quick, one company we haven't really talked about yet, but it's it's one that's out there um, and, and making its own waves is Apple and yeah. Apple Arcade. Um, you know, I I haven't really fiddled around Apple Arcade at all much, but we saw you know the introduction here at, at the last Apple event, and I mean that's an interesting subscription model there as well. Um, opens up a lot of gaming content. It seems like for Apple users, where where is Apple right now in comparison with these companies like Amazon and Microsoft and Facebook? Is is Apple same level, kind of an also ran? I mean, wh- how do you feel about Apple Arcade in its future? Yeah, well, Apple is. I mean, one of the largest gaming companies in the world. Most of the spending on the App Store is gaming. And so it makes sense for them to figure out a way to build a subscription that brings you know, the most engaged gamers together in a way to play games that is beneficial to them economically and how people spend their time. Um, so I went on record before, I think, on Market Foolery, saying that I think Apple Arcade has the potential to be one of Apple's most successful services in terms of like how many people are engaged with it, but also in terms of like how much money they make on it. Because video games are software. And so there is like zero marginal cost to scaling it up. Yeah. Um, and compared to something like music where you have to pay for every single play, like it is a better business. Um, that said, I think so far Apple Arcade has disappointed me a little bit. I think their scope um, in terms of the types of games that they are focused on and therefore the, like what niche audience that they capture. I don't think that they've done a great job getting like tentpole games or lots of different types of games to appeal to a much broader audience. I think that that can change, um, but it'll take some time. Um, but either way, just like Apple, their distribution is unparalleled yeah. in the world. Uh, and if you look at like the App Store, like the five, like, buttons at the bottom that you can pick. One of those is Apple Arcade. Sure. So they're they're serious about this and gaming is a huge part of 
of what already goes on in the App Store. Well, and they certainly have all the resources in the world. So while that doesn't solve every problem, it certainly is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's let's look towards 2020 now. We talked a little bit about what was going on in 2019, things that you felt like stood out. But what are you looking at in the industry for 2020? And in particular, I, you know, I was reading uh, more about your your personal goal, your your effort to dive more into mobile and learn even more about mobile and how that's shaping the gaming industry. You had six big trends in mobile that you're looking at for 2020. So I have to believe that mobile is going to be part of the answer here. But oh, yeah. talk a little bit about what you've got your eyes on for 2020. Yeah, so mobile definitely is in lots of different ways. I think mobile esports in particular is really exciting just because of the scale of what those companies are achieving. Um, and I think the like the retention and runway that they have is really cool. And I'll hit on some some quick things here. Uh, Asia is increasingly dominant in mobile gaming. Uh, something like 23 of the top 30 grossing um, mobile games in 2019 were either fully owned or partially owned by um, Asian companies. And so I have a feeling that that trend will continue. Um, but at the same time, Western publishers will learn to adapt. Uh, not all of them will successfully, but the ones who do, and finding those early on should bring good re- rewards. Um, you know, I one topic that has been really interesting to me is the the idea of the metaverse, uh, <laughs> and uh, and I, I know you probably think about this a little bit, thinking about all AR, VR, yeah. and, and that type of thing. I'm still knee deep. I'm like I'm probably <laughs> about eighty percent of the way through Ready Player One, and I just I wish, I wish that book would go on forever. And I'm so glad I didn't go see the movie because I absolutely love it. <laughs> and that was per your recommendation. So thank you. Yeah, it's a good book, and I think we are seeing some like very very early stage examples of what the metaverse could be. You see in Fortnite. Um, like we were starting to see like live events and things. Yep. So there was like a live concert earlier in the year. There was like a like a live demonstration of like a Star Wars uh, event and uh, like advertisement that that happened there as well. So Fortnite is testing things. I think over the next twelve months or so, we'll see them evolve from being a game to a platform. And I think to make that shift, they will have to to better prioritize user-generated content and letting the community have more of a say in creating things in the Fortnite universe. And we're seeing that happen in games like Minecraft, which is like a massive game. Roblox has taken off, and it's kind of like an app, but like games within the game that people are creating all these different experiences. And I think the the long-term runway of this is that user-generated content will become much more important. And the companies that can really um, evolve to empower creators will become like the next like tens of billions like a hundred billion dollar companies um and that is going to be really exciting and that's going to take course over, over many years and so right now we're starting to see that take place on like pc console and mobile but yeah like vr is starting to pick up it still is very niche right now um but it wouldn't surprise me uh, right now, we see Oculus Quest, for example. Like it, the sales are accelerating more than it ever has before. Probably the next version of that in 2021 or so will be when we start to see VR go more mainstream. Um, and I bet, like the the best like metaverse type players that are really capturing like the the creativity and minds of um, like a new generation. Just like like what are all the possibilities that you can build in digital worlds? Um, I think it's really going to take off, and the idea of building like digital economies and digital worlds, and being able to like literally like make money 
doing like building digital things, doing digital work, all of these things that can take place in digital worlds. I think that can be a trend of the 2020s. And I'm, I'm really excited to see how that goes. Microsoft owns Minecraft, um, Epic Games owns Fortnite. Nobody owns Roblox yet, but, <laughs> but it'll be a, really interesting to see who probably acquires them. It could be someone like Google. It could be someone else. Um, but that is a big trend I'm looking forward to. Then, of course, as I mentioned before, like seeing how traditional media um, reacts and starts entering this industry and seeing how consolidation occurs from both big tech and big media and what ripple effects it has for the industry. Um, that will also be fascinating to watch. There's just so much going on. It's a massive industry and no shortage of interesting trends. It is. And when you think about that concept of the metaverse and, and the way that you can build on that that concept. I mean, essentially, it's endless. I mean, in theory, it is endless. You can you can go forever. Yeah. And and all it really takes is just some, some creative mindsets to, to just build cool stuff. Yeah. So Ready Player One, like it was a pretty enlightening read. Just like getting your oh your, yeah, your, like your mind spinning about what's possible. I think Snow Crash is is another one that was written in the '90s, I think, and it's even more like prescient, I think, in terms of how things have played out. Um, but yeah, good good science fiction can get you thinking about about where the world is heading <laughs> for sure. Well, you know, at heart we're stock guys, Aaron. I think a lot of our listeners are, are oh, stock yeah. guys and gals too. Um, so let's wrap up this discussion today. Let's leave our listeners with a couple of stocks that you'll be giving a little extra attention in 2020. Maybe a couple of ideas you think have potential for not just 2020, but but for the years beyond as we do invest here at the Motley Fool. Yeah. So I'm interested in Activision Blizzard. And I think for for a lot of investors, this is controversial because they've seen Activision go through a lot of problems, cultural problems. Um, they had to sell off one of their biggest franchises, Destiny. Um, not all of their attempts with mobile and such have been successful. Esports again is overrated. <laughs> so like you can like create like a checklist of things of of like reasons like why they they're struggling and could be negatives. But really, at the end of the day, what matters most is just great brands and great games and they have no shortage of outstanding brands and i think even if like esports fades fades away for a while their ability to take those brands to mobile i think out of all the western publishers they'll be the smartest ones to do so i think that's what we've seen so far out of the legacy publishers um call of duty mobile is really just the the first step and i think that will continue to improve diablo immortals is the next game but if you think about all the things I could do with World of Warcraft and Overwatch and all of these different different things, spinning off new types of Call of Duty games, I think their mobile upside is massive. And so I'm, I'm really interested to see what they do there, despite all of the risk and things that people would tell you to avoid. Um, another example, and this is a company I want to learn more about, is C-Limited. And this has been... Um, one of the best, maybe it might have been like the best performer in the S&P 500 or so um, in 2019. The stock more than tripled last year. And wow. it's because it's the the company behind the game Free Fire, which I mentioned before that has amassed over 450 million downloads. Right. It's become a massive esport in both Southeast Asia and in Latin America. Um, and so I'm curious to see what they do with that, if they're able to to like extend the lifetime, improve monetization of that one game, but also see if they can make other games. But also what's interesting about this company is that they own Shopee, which is one of the emerging um, e-commerce players in, 
in uh, Southeast Asia. Oh. Um, and they own AirPay, which is an emerging payments company. Well, so, you know how I feel about payments. I know, <laughs> I know. So, so they have like an interesting like mix of businesses, and I, I feel ashamed that I didn't find them earlier. <laughs> um, but I mean, when you see a company perform so well, and the whole like idea of like like add to winners and things like that. This is a company that is winning on every level. And so it's it's kind of a sign to me that like, you know, you should probably take a deeper look because if they can if they're on a tear right now, if they're really onto something big, their thirty billion dollar market cap or so could be a lot bigger. Uh, so I'm interested to learn more about C Limited. All right. Well if you have any interest at all in the gaming industry or if you are interested in expanding your circle of competence and learning about a new industry, an exciting and growing industry, you got to go check out Master the Meta. Check him out, masterthemeta.com. Aaron Bush, thanks so much for joining us this week. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun, Jamo. All right. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Today's show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Aaron Bush, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.